Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon out of Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 10, and it's titled, In All Things, Love. If you have a Bible today, please open it up. Romans 14. Romans chapter 14. This is a series that we've been in now for 53 weeks. We've still got a little bit more to go. It's a series entitled Life Transformation. And the guy who wrote Romans, he wrote it to the church at Rome, but he also wrote it to the church here at Highland Park. And basically what he is saying is this, that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord, you will never be the same. You will be transformed. Now understand, he's not saying, we dealt with this early on, He's not saying that you will be perfect. But what he is saying is, your desires will change. Your want to will change. That no longer will you view your life as yours, but now as the life of Christ. And so truly, this guy was changed and transformed so much, they wouldn't even believe it. They finally had to flat out change his name because of the transformation that took place in his life. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses in Romans 14, and we're going to be talking about when Christians disagree. And the title of the message is, In All Things, Love. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? When Christians disagree. Now, I ran across this not too long ago. And um, there is an uh, online service or an online publication known as Church Answers. And they did a recent Twitter study. And they solicited responses from pastors all around the world to share with them, or for the pastors to share with them, things that had brought about fights in their church. So these are real-life problems are disagreements that happened in real life churches. We could spend the rest of our time this morning because the list that they gave was just unbelievable, but I found a few kind of interesting and uh, and I thought I'd share them with you today. First of all, there was a church that fought over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use that land for a cemetery. And I don't know about you, but I'm dying to know what they did. Uh-huh. There was a church that had a fight over which picture of Jesus to put up in their foyer. And I'm like, who took the picture of Jesus? I'd like to know that. <laughs> there, there, there was a church, you'll like this one, this is just true. There's a church that had an argument on whether they should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. <laughs> right? What do you say, Calvin? You can't make this stuff up. Right? I think deviled eggs are okay, but you've got to balance it out with angel food cake. Kind of get that going. Here's another actual argument that happened in a church over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. And I read that and I'm like, I thought gluttony was a sin. Is that... All right, let's just go on. Look there with me. I'll just tell you this. It'll go a lot better if you'll laugh. It'll go a lot better for everybody in this room. Let's look at what to do when Christians disagree. We're in Romans 14. We'll go the first 10 verses. Verse 1. 
He says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Now, middle school boys, I'd, I'd highlight that part right there. He who is weak eats only vegetables. So the next time you're standing, staring in front of a plate of broccoli, pull that one out and quote it to mom. He who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him, verse 3, who eats despise him who does not eat. Let him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and he rose and he lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when we first read these 10 verses, we're like, my goodness, <laughs> that is a mixture of everything. You remember what I've taught you Context is key to everything. Context is key to everything. Okay, so when these middle school boys pull the verse about vegetables out of context, mom's going to say, remember the Lord saith, honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long on this earth. <laughs> Just giving you a heads up, guys. Contextually, it's important for us to understand what is happening in this particular situation and what is the overarching principle or precept that transcends all generations. What is he saying to us today? So we're going to look at all of those. First of all today, let's talk about the descriptions of behavior that he mentions here. He gives us two descriptions of behavior. The first one that he mentions are moral absolutes. And by moral absolutes, what he is saying is there are some things that are right all the time and there are some things that are wrong all the time. That according to God's word, there are some absolutes. Now, you know in the world that we live in today, our culture says there are no absolutes. Our culture says there are no things that are right for all people in all situations and wrong for all people in all situations, that they are all relative, which means this, you may believe it's right for you, I may believe it's wrong for me, and we can both be right. 
That there are no right and wrong, that everything today, every decision, every bit of conduct that you are a part of falls into a gray area. Now, this actually happened in a psychology class here in Panama City. The professor made the statement, there are no moral absolutes. Everything is relative. Ethics are situational. There are no right and no wrong. One of the students who attends here at Highland Park raised their hand and said, are you absolutely certain that there are no absolutes? And the professor said, yes, I'm absolutely certain. Now think about that for just a moment. I'm absolutely certain. He said there are no moral absolutes, and he is absolutely certain there are no moral absolutes, which is a moral absolute. I'm just saying, guys, do you see the foolishness of what we're dealing with? Yet the Bible says that there are some absolutes. According to the Bible, that there are some things that are always right. According to the Bible, there are some things that are always wrong. For instance, according to the Bible, it is always wrong to lie. According to the Bible, it's always wrong to commit adultery. According to the Bible, it's always wrong to murder. According to the Bible, homosexual behavior is always wrong. According to the Bible, it is always wrong to steal. You can never get around it, according to the Bible. But also according to the Bible, it is always right to be faithful to your spouse. According to the Bible, it is always right to be honest. It is always right to be loving. According to the Bible, it is always right to honor your parents. Now, I love it when everything fits in one of those two categories. Right and wrong. That's kind of how I'm made up. Black, white, no gray area. I wish everything were moral absolutes, but they're not. Not everything the Bible particularly speaks toward. And when it comes to that, not only are there moral absolutes, but then there are also decisions, behavior, conduct, that is a matter of personal conviction. Because there are some decisions that you and I face that the Bible really doesn't address. Some Christians say, hey, this is wrong, I can't do it. But then there are other Christians who say, there's nothing wrong with this, I can do it. And Paul gives us a couple of examples of what was happening in his day and time and in his culture. In the church at Rome, there were some folks who had gotten saved and they had come out of idolatry worship. They were pagan worshipers. And what they would do is they would take the finest of the cattle and they would sacrifice them to their false idol. They would only take a little bit of the beef and they would burn it on the altar to their false idol and then they would take the rest of the beef to the marketplace and they would sell it. You could get really good beef at a discounted rate. 
And so those Christians said, you cannot eat that beef because it was sacrificed to an idol. And so there were other people that bought this meat and they ate it up. But these were saying, no, you can't really love Jesus. You can't be a good Christian and eat that meat. And then the others said, but now hang on. We know that idols aren't real. What do you think? There are demons in that beef? And if they are, after about 30 minutes at 350, they won't be anymore. And so they're like, it's good beef, it's cheap. What's the issue? I'm just saying, they disagreed over it. Now, I love things very neat. It would have been so much easier if Paul would have said, do not eat the meat. That's not what he said. He said, some will, and they'll be fine with it. Their conscience will be pure. Others won't, and they'll be fine not eating it. And their consciences will be pure. But not only did they disagree over whether they should eat the beef that had been offered to the false idols, they also started disagreeing over days of the week. Look back in verse 5. Look at what he says in 5. One person esteems one day above the other. So you had these Christians who came out of Judaism. And as a good Jew, you followed the laws of the Sabbath. And so they said, you know what? We're still going to follow the laws, the regulations of the Sabbath, which mean on Saturday we don't do anything, and then we're going to worship on Sunday. Now, if that's what they wanted to do, that's fine, as long as they did not believe that that drew them closer to God, or they were trying to find some kind of salvific answer through the obedience of the laws of the Sabbath. Well, you had these Gentile, these new Gentile believers, they got saved. And, and so these Jewish believers said, listen, here's the deal. On Saturday, to be a good Christian and follow the Sabbath, on Saturday you do nothing. On Saturday, you can't walk more than half a mile. On Saturday, you can't carry more than two eggshells worth of water. That on Saturday, you do nothing else, and then you worship on Sunday. And these Gentile believers said, whoa, 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 hang on. There's no day that is any more important than any other day. And so these were some issues that the Bible didn't address directly. And what does Paul say? It's a matter of personal conviction. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's a matter of personal conviction. Now, what we love to do is we love to make lists, don't we? We love to add to what God says. I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing for my message this morning. In over 30 years of ministry, I thought about all the things that very well-meaning, sincere people had told me are a sin that the Bible does not specifically address. Really, I've already told you, we could spend the rest of this morning me just sharing every one that I was told, but we don't have time. And I can only imagine if you've been in church very long as well, you also have your list of things that you've been told are a sin and the Bible does not address these. I'll, let me share some of them with you this morning. Here's what they told me. Well-meaning people, 
They said that it is a sin that if you read out of any version of the Bible except the King James Version. I've had folks tell me that over the years. You may even be one sitting here today and you're like, that's all I read out of, the King James Version. Hey, listen, if you like reading out of the King James Version, studying the King James Version, then flat out read it to every page is falling out. You can't make it out anymore. Then go get you another brand new King James Version Bible. That's your prerogative. That's whatever you want to do. I preach out of the New King James Version Bible. And do you know the spiritual reason why I preach out of the New King James Bible? You ready for this? Because I've always preached out of the New King James Version Bible. But I study a lot of different translations. In my own study, in my own personal time. So I'm going to sit here today and here's what I'm going to say. Just find you a translation of God's Word that you can trust and dig into it and read it and read it and study it and live it. Now, there are a couple out there that I wouldn't recommend. If you don't know, then reach out to us. We'll help you with that. But well-meaning, sincere people, again, it's okay if that's what you want to do. But don't force that on someone else. Here's another one that I was told. I was told over the years, dancing, that Christians do not dance. Dancing is a sin. Have you heard that? I even had somebody not too long ago, they said, hey, listen, listen, they were coming to our church from another church, a, a non-Baptist church, and here's what they were saying. I need to know, Pastor, I've always heard that Baptists can't dance. Can Baptists dance? And here's what I said. Some can, some can't. <laughs> There are some of you during worship, if you're not dancing, I don't know what you're doing. I've had folks, well-meaning people say this, that it is a sin to play cards. Play cards? Whoa, Christians cannot play cards. It's a sin. Now, you'll find this very interesting. Did you know how the domino game 42 got started? A bunch of Baptists thought it was a sin to play cards, so they played the game of dominoes. Dominoes are okay. Cards are a sin. Chewing tobacco. Dipping snuff. That's wrong, they told me. That is a sin. Mixed bathing is a sin. Now some of you are like, mixed bathing, what does that mean? Well, let me first of all say this, it has nothing to do with bathing. Mixed bathing is when boys and girls swim in the same swimming pool. And we would send a group off to camp, boys and girls would swim in the same swimming pool, and I had folks come in how dare we allow mixed bathing? That is a sin. Smoking. Smoking is a sin. That if you're a Christian, you don't smoke. It is a sin. Well, I wish somebody would have told that to my deacons in North Mississippi because I wouldn't have had a single one left if you had shared that with them. People ask me, Pastor, does smoking send you to hell? No, it doesn't send you to hell. Makes you smell like you've already been there. I've had folks say shopping on Sunday is a sin. Fishing on Sunday is a sin. Watching or participating in sports on Sunday is a sin. Working on Sunday is a sin. Listening to secular music is a sin. Well, what are you going to do with Journey and Loverboy? And... Are you kidding me? For a woman to cut her hair short, it's a sin. 
For a man to have long hair, it's a just a list of things. And these are just a little bit of it. A little bit of it. And you would have your own list, and it would be a long list that down through the ages, folks have said, this is a sin that the Bible does not clearly speak on these issues. Now, there are some things that are absolutely right. We know that. There are some things that are absolutely wrong. But he says there are some things that are a matter of personal conviction. I heard about a preacher one time that preached an entire sermon on the sin of smoking. There's a little old lady on the third row that just sat there. Amen, amen. Preach it, preacher. Come on, preach it, brother. Encouraging him over and over. The sermon ended. She opened up her purse. She took out her tin of snuff. If you don't know what snuff is, that's almost like powdery tobacco. She got a pinch of her snuff, stuck it between her gum and her cheek. She walks out of the church where the pastor was receiving people and she said preacher I want you to know that was a great sermon this morning it is a sin to smoke and he said ma'am how dare you how dare you come up to me with that snuff that tobacco in your lips telling me that it's a sin to smoke I mean that is hypocritical how dare you make that statement she said no preacher you don't understand I agree with you it is a sin to smoke something that tastes this good Mmm. I can see some little old ladies that I've pastored over the years. You say, Pastor, are you saying that smoking and dipping snuff are okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, wouldn't it be great if the Bible specifically said that? That the Bible doesn't address. Charles Spurgeon, some of you guys like Charles Spurgeon, one of the great English Baptist preacher of the last century. He smoked cigars. Everybody in his church knew that he smoked cigars. One evening at the uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, Charles Spurgeon invited a great American preacher to come in. That preacher spent the entire sermon preaching on smoking, the sin of smoking, not knowing that Charles Spurgeon smoked cigars. Everybody in the place just sat there and got quieter and quieter and quieter because they all knew that Spurgeon smoked cigars. And after it was over, Charles Spurgeon stood up, and in a way that only he could do, a very loving way, a very kind way, here's what he said. Church, let's open up our Bibles to Romans 14. The very passage of Scripture we've just read. And he said, for some Christians, their conscience will not allow them to do it. And then he made this famous statement that he has been quoted many times for. He said, not only do I smoke cigars, I smoke cigars for the glory of God. <laughs> oh man, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could do that. Now I think I know something today that Spurgeon probably didn't know and that smoking gives you cancer. And so I couldn't do that. My conscience would not allow me to do that. But man, I wish it very clearly stated in God's Word, this is right and this is wrong. But I'm saying, guys, there are things that we face throughout life that he says is a matter of personal conviction. You say, well, do I have any guidelines? 
when it comes to my choices and my decisions when the Bible does not speak directly? Well, I'll give you three guidelines. I don't even think I've got them on the screen, so you have to write down. If you don't get them, email me and I'll give them to you. The first one is what we've just talked about. It is very simply this. Is this action prohibited by the Bible? Is it prohibited by the Bible? Now, that right there, if it is, case settled. I don't even need to be doing it. If the Bible expressively speaks prohibition against it. Here's the second question. Can I ask Jesus to bless this behavior? Does the Bible expressively prohibit it? Can I ask Jesus to bless this behavior? And the third one, and this comes from my mother who says this all the time, especially when I was growing up. Is this something you'd like to be found doing if Jesus were to return? Would you be okay doing this if Jesus were to come back right now? And so here's really what he is saying, that there are some things that are right, there are some things that are wrong, and there are some things the Bible doesn't speak on that are a matter of personal conviction. So that's the descriptions of behavior that he mentions in this passage. But then he kind of takes it a step further, and he says not only are these behaviors, but I want you to look at some differences when it comes to believers. First of all, they're weak believers. They're weak Christians. Three times in this passage of Scripture, Paul mentions weak Christians. And he tells us there that a weak Christian is somebody who's still living under legalism. That God does. God has a list of what is right, and God has a list of what is wrong, but a legalist has added traditions of man to the Word of God. That a legalist, their list is longer than God's list. Full disclosure this morning, okay? I'm a recovering legalist. I'm black, I'm white, there's no gray. I've already made that very clear to you. That's kind of how I tend to function. And I was taught legalism growing up, and I've had, I've grabbed a hold of legalism, and God has been moving and working in my life. And so, hello, my name is Stephen Kyle. I am a recovering legalist. And some of you are laughing at me, but you shouldn't be because you're worse than I am. There was a group of Jews in the Old Testament, we know them as Pharisees, and man, they were so legal. Here's what they did. They said, God's got this list here of right and wrong, and so we're going to build a fence around God's list of what is right and wrong, right? We're going to build our own fence, and, and, and that fence is going to make sure that you don't get near breaking God's right and wrong. As a matter of fact, we're going to do, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a second fence, because we don't want you to even get close to the first fence. And so they had that first fence, which was a list of rules, and then they come along, they build the second fence, which is the list of rules and traditions and all that, and they say, we're well, to ensure that you don't break God's rule, then don't even get near the second fence. And that's the reason why in Mark chapter 7, Jesus said this to them, you've made the word of God of no effect because of your traditions. And so I would say today that you and I have to ask ourselves the question, do I believe what I believe because of the tradition of man? Or do I believe what I believe because the Word of God says it? 
See, here's what a legalist says. A legalist says that Christianity is do's and don'ts. A legalist believes that he can gain God's favor by doing certain things and by not doing other things. A legalist lives in more mortal terror that a Christian somewhere is having fun. You, you, you can't have fun and really, really be a believer. You can't have fun and really love the Lord. They have perfected what is called the high holy look. It is a cross between acid indigestion and a migraine headache. Oh, I love the Lord so much. I'm a good, good Christian. It even has to do with days of the week today. Right now. That there are some Christians out there that say this. They say that Sunday is now the new Sabbath. Well, friend, that's not in the Word of God. The dogma of the Roman Catholic Church says that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath, right? So now, on Sunday, we set those rules that were part of the Sabbath, which was Saturday, that now we live those on Sunday. And so they come along and they say this, you know what? All you should do on Sunday is worship and rest. Worship and rest. Now please hear me. If all I do on Sunday is worship and rest, it's been a good Sunday. I tell you, there's nothing like going home. I mean, I know I would backslide because I would turn the TV on to watch a ball game and a good legalist would never do that. But there's nothing like eating a good meal, going home, turning the ball game on, and falling asleep in my recliner. That's a good Sunday. Being able to gather together with you. But there are folks that out there that say, oh, no, 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 you don't really love the Lord. If you did, you wouldn't do anything like that. I'm just going to worship God, but on Sunday afternoon, I'm not going to do anything else. And you certainly have the right to believe that way. But if you try to impose that on someone else, you're being a legalist. Because there are other Christians that love the Lord just as much and they say, you know what, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to worship God on Sunday, but on Sunday afternoon I may mow the grass. My grandmother used to tell me growing up, you mow the grass on Sunday, it grows twice as fast. <laughs> I come from a long line of legalists. I'm going to go to church on Sunday and I'm going to worship and then Sunday afternoon I'm going to go fishing. And again, my grandmother would say, any fish you catch on Sunday do not taste good. And there are folks who sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to worship on Sunday and it's Sunday afternoon, I'm going to go out and watch a movie with my family or I'm going to go to the ballpark or I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And they can do that with a clear conscience. Same is true when it comes to holidays. There are some Christians out there that say, you know what, we don't worship or, or we don't uh, observe Christmas. Because Christmas, and they're correct, Christmas was based off of a pagan holiday, Sol Invictus, which means victory of the sun. And it was a Roman pagan holiday. And some of the very things that we do at Christmas are things that they did in this pagan holiday. And so they say, we're not going to put up a tree. We're not going to decorate a tree. We're not going to hang lights. We're not going to do any of those things. And I would say, well, that's whatever you want to do. If that's what you don't want to do, then don't do that. 
But then there are other folks out there that like that you know equally say I love Jesus Christ and they can do this with a clear conscience. Don't try to make somebody else feel guilty because they don't do it. Several years ago I made the decision that I would not watch rated R movies. I've shared this with you. I wish I could take you to a verse of Scripture and I could say, look, it says right here in Philippians 2 verse 4, thou shalt not watch any movie above PG. But it doesn't. And the reason why I quit watching rated R movies is because when my girls were young, there would be times I would sit there and I would say, hey, listen, listen, you guys need to go and watch something in your room. This is a movie for adults only. This is only for mom and dad. And I say that and some of you are like, oh my goodness, you were watching? No, not movies like that. Just movies we didn't want our kids watching. And I felt the Holy Spirit of God sitting there and saying, well, if they can't watch it, you ought not watch it. Please hear me. That doesn't make me more spiritual than you. Okay, And for me to sit there and try to impose what God has said to me would be wrong. If I were to watch a rated R movie, I'm not going to have a clear conscience. Because God is impressed that on my... You see what is happening here? The problem is we've come to a point where we almost think strong Christians are the ones with the longer list. Those are the ones that really love God. And Paul says, no, the ones with the long list, those are the weaker Christians, not the strong ones. I remember not long after I came here to Highland Park, and uh, you guys remember back when we used to do the fall festival, the Halloween alternative, and you know, uh, this is before it got to be so big that we can no longer do it, and you know, we, we, we realized we were just throwing a party, and we felt like we could use the money better for the mission of the church, but this was back when it was small, and we used to do it right beside the student building. There was a parking lot that would circle around there. It's hard for you to imagine if you've come within the last 10 years of what that would look like. But for those of you old timers that remember back when we were much smaller, we would do that. And I'll never forget one of the first fall festivals I ever went to, this lady came up and I would love to tell you that she was sweet, but I don't want to lie, right? And so she comes up and she begins to say, I can't believe our church is doing something for Halloween. I can't believe we even say the word Halloween. I can't believe we're doing an alternative to Halloween. I just can't believe that we would embrace something that is so evil. And and you would have been proud. I was real kind. I was real nice. I was listening. And in the course of the conversation, I made the mistake of telling her that that, that most of, you know, that my kids most of their lives have dressed up and gone trick-or-treating. And you would have thought, oh my goodness, I'm the devil's spawn. I'm not even saved. I'm an evil, evil person. Now I'll tell you this, our youngest, he quit trick-or-treating when one year he went as Peyton Manning in his Tennessee jersey. And I told him when he was dressed up like Peyton, I'm like, you're making a terrible mistake. These Florida people are not going to give you good candy. And you guys didn't. And he said, I said, I'm done. I'm not doing this ever again. 
But she's sitting there and she's telling me how wrong I am and I'm raising my kids wrong and how dare I allow my kids to trick or treat and dress up and all that kind of stuff and how dare our church do a Halloween alternative. And again, you guys would have been so proud. I'm standing there and I'm listening to everything and I've got this big smile on my face and you're like, how could you smile when she was talking to you like that? Because God is my witness. Here's what I'm thinking the entire time in my mind. Thank you, God, I'm not married to her. Thank you, God, I'm not married to her. And I prayed for her and they left the church and I hope they're happy where they are. You may be against anything like that and it's okay if you choose to be against anything like that. Just don't impose your list on everyone else. That's what he's saying. So you have weak believers, but then, but then you have strong believers. You say, which one was Paul? We don't even have to guess. If you look down to chapter 15, verse 1, he tells us. He says, we who are strong, Paul's in the strong camp, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. So Paul is saying, it's okay to eat meat. There is no one day that is more sacred than the other day. But if you don't want to eat meat that was offered to idols, it's okay for you to believe you ought not eat meat. It's, if, if you want to set aside Saturday or Sunday as a day of rest, it's okay. Just don't impose it on anyone else. So, so, so strong Christians follow God's list, but they're set free from man's list. And I've had folks that have said, you're not Baptist to me. I used to be offended by it, now I take it as a compliment. And I've had them say, we're Baptists and no Baptists should clap their hand in a church service. And heaven forbid should some Baptist ever raise their hand in a worship service. Some folks have this idea, the only time a Baptist raises their hand is to vote the pastor out. <laughs> Yet the problem is, over in Psalm 47.1, what does it say? Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. You get down to Psalm 63, a lot of other places. Here's what it says. I will lift my hands up unto the Lord. There's a church that I pastored one time, a small little church in, in, in Tennessee, and there were, uh, there were several guys that had been very uh, successful in business, and there was one guy, a multimillionaire, and he ran the entire town. He was used to telling everyone what to do, and he wanted to run the church as well. And he's the one that came to me one day, and he said, I see what you're doing, preacher. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, I've seen that you've put drums on the stage. We'll not have drums in this church because drums make the beat of the devil. The drums are from the pits of hell. If we bring drums in here, the next thing you know, people will start moving their feet. And the next thing you know, people will start dancing. And the next thing you know, they'll start falling out on the floor like a bunch of fish. They'll start jumping pews. And we will get the reputation of being known as charismatic. And I said catatonic maybe, but not charismatic. And I said, James, do you, uh, do you believe God's Word? He goes, you know I believe God's Word from cover to cover, the maps included. 
I said, so you believe the Old Testament? I believe the words of the Old Testament. And I took out my Bible and I said, James, look at Psalms 150. Praise the Lord with clashing cymbals and the sounds of drums. And so I have to ask myself the question, are these, are these from God's word? Or are these just traditions of men? It's one thing for you to say, I don't like drums. Okay, you don't like drums, that's all right. But don't try to impose that on someone else. And so just to understand what Paul's saying, look halfway through verse 20. He says halfway through verse 20, all food is clean. But it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes, here we go, someone else to stumble. So here's what Paul says. He says, here's what I'm going to do. It's better not to eat meat. It's better not to drink wine. It's better not to do anything else that may cause your brother to stumble. That a strong believer would never, ever offend a weaker Christian. And that they're very careful in their life. And so he says, these are the descriptions of behavior. Hopefully it makes a little bit more sense to you now. He says, these are the differences in believers. But then he nails down the key point. And this is what we're going to finish on in the time we've got left. The key point is this. A disposition of love. That you and I, as followers of Christ, as a part of the family of God, our attitude should be that of love. Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, receive one who is weak in the faith. And you're like, well, I do that. I tolerate them, man. That's not what he says. It's not like, you, man, I tolerate those, you know, who come to my church and I just tolerate. I t-. No, no, no. It means that you embrace them. It means that you receive them. It means that you accept them. It's not you sitting there saying, well, we're just going to tolerate them. We're just going to tolerate them. My goodness, on Wednesday nights, they, they, they are, uh, honestly, they are, they've outgrown the student building on Wednesday nights. And some of you guys remember when we used to have the bottom, they had the top, and then we had to give them the whole thing. And some of you are still upset about us giving them the whole thing. And, uh, and they outgrew the top and the bottom. And, and can I tell you what's happening? They're coming for this room on Wednesday nights. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Well, they can't have this room. This room's ours. Telling you, they're coming for it. If you don't want them to have it, you better write a check for $10 million this morning so we can build them a bigger place. I'll settle for five. No, friend, listen to me. Listen to me. He says, no, we will receive them. Somebody said it this way. In the essentials, there must be unity. In the non-essentials, there must be liberty. But in all things, there must be charity. Charity means love. And so Paul is saying, guys, to you and I, uh, to all of you Christians who know that you are strong and that you've been set free from man's list and man's tradition, you're living under grace, right? You've been set free by the, by the truth. Don't flaunt your liberty and don't force it on somebody else. 
To put it in context, he would say, listen, while they're over there not eating meat, and they're eating their zucchini, and they're eating their squash, and they're eating your broccoli, don't you sit down beside them and say, man, this ribeye is to die for. Oh, it is so good. He says, no, don't flaunt that. Mm. And to weak Christians, can I say what he's saying to you? Grow up. Quit imposing your list on somebody else. It's okay if you've got that list. It's okay if that's the way you want to live. Make sure it doesn't compromise anything in the Bible. But don't sit there and make somebody else follow your list when the Bible doesn't explicitly speak on that. There are some essentials that we never compromise on, right? What are those essentials? We dealt with it. Uh, I mean, I would say it wasn't that long ago, but it was before we started the book of Romans. So it was like almost two years ago, we dealt with a series on Sunday morning entitled Non-Negotiables. These are things that we do not negotiate. These are absolutely essential to who we are and what we believe and how we move forward. And to kind of summarize that, these are the essentials that we do not compromise on. The first one is this, the Bible is the very word. Word of God. It is inspired by God. I will not compromise on that. The second one is the divinity of Jesus Christ, which means this. He was fully 100% man and he was fully 100% God. I'll not compromise on that. The third one, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. It means that Jesus died in my place. And that salvation comes through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. It was satisfied through Jesus Christ. Salvation is not us waiting on some future thing. Salvation has already taken place through Jesus Christ. And even the promises that we have in the future will come to pass because of Jesus Christ. Salvation is through Him and Him alone. Somebody would say it this way, Jesus is enough. Hello? Another one is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a non-negotiable, right? That's an essential that we will not compromise on. That he really did rise from the dead. That he got up, stood up, jumped up. I don't care how you say it. He came out of the tomb. For somebody to sit there and say, oh, no, I think he's still dead. I don't think he really wrote. Well, I can't compromise. I can't agree with you on that one. I can't, I can't have fellowship with you on that one. And then the fifth one is this, the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. I can't fellowship with somebody that, 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 that compromises these basic fundamentals of faith. Now, when it comes to the second coming, they may not believe the way that I believe about the second coming. I believe the very next thing that's going to happen on the prophetic calendar is, I believe that Jesus is going to come back and rapture the church. Don't know when, nobody knows when. If I told you when right now, I'd be wrong for the very fact that I said when. But I'm telling you this, not on the scheduling committee, I'm on the welcoming committee. The next thing, I believe that, I believe he's going to rapture the church. When do you think it could happen? Today would be a great day. It'd be a great day. My mortgage payment's due next week. It'd be a great day today. 
I believe after that, there's going to enter into a, a literal seven-year time of tribulation. I believe at the end of the tribulation, Jesus is going to come back with the church, and I believe that he's going to enter into a thousand-year reign here on planet Earth. It will be a literal millennium, is what I believe, okay? I believe after that, the devil will be loosened for one final bit of rebellion, and then he will finally be put to rest forever and ever and ever. He will be defeated. He will be locked up. It will be finished and it will be done. I am what they call a pre-tribulation, pre-millennialist. And there are other folks that are a part of our church that are mid-trippers. Makes no sense to me, but they believe that. There are some that are amillennialists. They don't believe there's literally going to be a thousand-year reign. But hear me, I can fellowship with them. They can fellowship with me as long as they believe he is coming back. Some of you are like, I'm a pan-millennialist. I just think everything's going to pan out and I don't really understand it. It's just going to happen. I completely agree and I understand. And so the essentials, unity. The non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love. And why are we to accept those that we disagree with over personal convictional matters? Well, first of all, because I've been accepted by the Lord. Look in verse 3. God has received him. Received whom? Received the guy who doesn't eat the meat. Received the guy who does eat the meat. Received the guy who follows the Sabbath. Receives the guy who does not follow the Sabbath. I've been accepted by God. Also, the reason why I'm supposed to relate to other believers that I may disagree with over the non-essentials is I belong to the Lord. Verse 8 says this, whether we live, whether we die, what? We're the Lord's. Hear me, friend, I don't belong to you, you don't belong to me, but we both belong to the Lord if we're in Jesus Christ, and He is the one who calls the shots. I have no right to tell you what you can do. I have no right to tell you what you cannot do outside of what God's Word clearly says. So I've been accepted by the Lord, and as a result, I need to accept you, whether we agree or not. don't agree on the non-essentials. I belong to the Lord, and if you know Jesus as Savior, you belong to the Lord as well. And then the third reason, I will be judged by the Lord. Look at verse 10. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Here's the point that he is making. I do not stand in judgment over you. You do not stand in judgment over me. But one day we will sit under the judgment of Jesus Christ. And that is the day that he'll be passing out rewards. And so the reason we act the way that he tells us to act and we accept and we receive one another is because Jesus has accepted you and I. And we are going to be judged by him. And that's the reason why when I pray for you, church, every single day, my prayer is this, oh God, that Highland Park would be a church that lives by grace. That Highland Park would be a church that is not so bound in the traditions of men. And I promise you that during my 30 years of preaching, I have seen a lot of legalists in the church. My prayer is, oh God, may we not be the church that fusses and fights over the non-essential so that we sacrifice the essential. And yet some of you would agree with me today. The reason why you're here is because you came from a place 
that more than being known what they were for, they were known for what they were against. Several years ago, there was a, a big flood that happened in this small little town in the Midwest. Biggest thing that had ever happened there. And uh, there was a local newspaper reporter was trying to write a good story about the flood. He's like, my goodness, I, I got to come up with something good. This is the biggest thing that's ever taken place. And so he got in his little fishing boat and he just took off, going around town, floating, because the town was underwater, to see if he could find an interesting story. He saw a lady whose house was flooded that was sitting on top of a roof. And so he pulled his boat up next to her and got out and sat up on the roof with her. And he said, listen, I'm, I'm the local newspaper reporter. I'm trying to find a good story. It'd be all right if I sit up here with you for a little while and see if anything floats by. She says, all right. And so he's sitting there and all of a sudden he sees this horse that had broken loose from its post. And it's floating. The post was floating. And, and he takes out his little notebook and he writes down, horse and post floated by. And then all of a sudden he looked and there was a chicken coop <laughs> that was floating by and the chickens were still alive. And he wrote down, chicken coop floats by, chicken still living. And he's thinking to himself, I've got to have something better than this. This is what my one chance. i got to have a good story. All of a sudden, he looked down, and he saw this hat that was floating in the water. And this hat would float about 75 feet, and it would stop. It would turn 180 and float 75 feet in the other direction. And it would stop and turn 180 and float 75 feet in the other direction. He turns one, and he goes, oh my goodness, do you see this? Did you see this? He goes, this has got to, maybe it's something to do with the current of the water or something. I don't know, maybe there's something special about the hat. He goes, I don't even know what to write down. Are you seeing this happen? She's like, yeah, I see it. And he said, my goodness, this has got to be miraculous. I don't, I don't even know, this is the story that I've been looking for. It's a miracle. And the woman said, first of all, it's not a miracle. And I don't know if it's that much of a story. And she's, he said, what do you mean? She goes, that's just my husband. He said, your husband? She said, yeah. He said he's going to mow that yard come hell or high water. <laughs> hey, church, we got to quit mowing the yard when the house is flooding. I'm serious. We got to quit mowing the yard while the house is flooding. We got to quit debating non-essential things, sacrificing the most essential. We got to quit being known as the church that's against this and this and this and this and instead be known as the church that says Jesus forgives a multitude of sins. Jesus saves. Oh man, debating non-essentials while the world out there is lost without Jesus Christ going to hell and we fuss and we fight over little things that do not matter and when we win, we think, oh, we're so, so good. Hey, I'm from rural West Tennessee. I've seen this happen. A pit bull can whip a skunk, but it's not worth the effort. <laughs> and we win a lot of these battles. And while we do it, we lose a world. A world that's lost and going to hell. So instead of getting worked up about all this stuff that's going to end one day, how about instead we put our hands to the plow and we look to the finish and we look to the author 
and the finisher of our faith. I want to close with this this morning. Paul's final word, it's not even in the book of Romans, it's in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, 16 and 17. Listen to what he says. He says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. Check this out. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality. Mm. The reality, however, is found in Christ. It's found in Christ. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the A, I'm the Z, I'm everything in between. Here's what that means. Whatever the problem, the answer is Jesus. And I can tell you this, the greatest problem, my sin. The answer is in Jesus. So guys, if we're going to get worked up about something, how about we get worked up over a gospel that will not fail? How about we get worked up over a king that is all-sufficient and a cleansing that'll change and save the worst of sinners? Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. Uh, this is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida, and we would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www. Dot Highland and it's H I L A N D Park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email info at highlandpark.org if you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him. Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.